Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, What is the Church? Many think of the church as a building or organization, but scripture teaches something far different. The church is the community of God's people who gather for worship, love, and care for one another and serve God's purposes in the world. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's word in your life today. Today we're going to be talking about the church, universal and local. We're in the middle of a series called What is the Church? And part of why we did this is because 2020 has been hard. There's been a lot in the news about congregations not being able to meet, about you know what we can do and what we can't do. And so while we were able to gather outside, weather permitting, we wanted to really kind of dive back into what it means to be the church, why the church is not the building. We're grateful for the building, but that's not what the church is. We are the church, and we're looking at all these different aspects. And so today we're going to look at uh, two passages again, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and then Acts chapter 14, verse 23. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 and 2, and then Acts 14, 23. Uh, They're in the booklet. I'm going to be using the New International Version, so uh, read along. Hear now the word of the living God. May the God, excuse me, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, the Spirit writes through Luke, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Many of you, if you're a little bit older, may remember the Disney cartoon, Aladdin. And what it was most uh, likely remembered for was Robin Williams, who played the genie. And uh, Robin Williams, as he oftentimes was, was very manic. From what I understand, they really didn't give him a lot to say. He just kind of went off. And then they tried to draw a cartoon around what it was he was saying. And he he had all kinds of crazy sayings he was, he was going through, but one of them in the middle of it is he was trying to describe what it meant to be a genie. And he was you know, going through all the things he could do, and he summed it up this way. He said, being a genie is phenomenal, cosmic power. Itty-bitty living space, because he went back into his lamp. And so today, I'm actually going to talk about phenomenal, cosmic power power and how it's experienced in an itty-bitty living space, the universal church and the local church, and how these two go together. So we want to dive in briefly with what is the universal church, and then mainly we're going to focus on the local church and why it's important that we understand the church in both of these aspects. Neither one by itself is sufficient. So I'll begin with the universal church. Paul mentions the universal church here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And it, in the phrase that he says uh, that I'm writing to you, your church in Corinth, which is a local church, we'll come back to that, but you are together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord 
and ours. Paul tells us that all those everywhere calling on Jesus Christ are united together. Uh, we've been looking at this recently in the series. Every person who is willingly under the lordship of Christ, and I, and I use that phrase willingly under the lordship because how many human beings are under the lordship of Jesus Christ? All. There is not one square inch of the universe that Jesus does not exercise authority over. But when we're speaking of the universal church, we are speaking of those who have responded to his lordship, who have willingly embraced his lordship, who have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everyone who does that is in the universal church. So at the moment of our conversion, when you were converted, when I was converted, at that moment, we were not only united to Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, but we also, by that same spirit, became members of the universal church. You remember we looked earlier where the Apostle Paul said, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one church, whether Jews or Greek, whatever, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Paul's speaking there of our conversion, and he says when that happens, you become a member of the universal church. Now, this is essential because Somebody can come down, and as much as we would try to not have it so, any local church, including this local church, could have people who become members and are not actually united to Jesus Christ. Now, that's something that we would try to not have happen. That's something that we would try to keep proclaiming the gospel. We try to make sure we understand the gospel. But the fact is, you are not a believer because you're a member of this local congregation. I'll even go further. This morning, to my chagrin, there are many other pastors who are standing up and speaking the word of God. They are teaching out of the Bible, or, or perhaps they're teaching out of the Bible. They have the title of pastor, and they are not regenerate. They do not know Jesus Christ. They are not only a member of a church, they are a leader in that church. That does not make one a believer. Going to seminary does not make one a believer. You become a believer by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so much of what we've been talking about in the series so far on the church is the temple, the body, the bride of Christ, the communion of saints is mainly focused on the universal church. And it's, a, it's important for us to understand that because the universal church is what we are all members of. And it's also important to understand because as we consider the church as the temple of God in the earth today, as we consider the church as the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we consider the church as the bride of Jesus Christ, this is phenomenal cosmic power. That's in the universal church. Everything God says regarding his people is true. And it is true of the universal uh, church. But I, I want to be really clear before I move on to local church. The question that that prompts you and me is why it's so essential. I don't ask you, is your name on a membership roll somewhere? I'm not asking you if you joined a club. I'm asking, have I personally turn to Jesus Christ in faith. We cannot put a sign-up sheet down there and say, join the universal church. You, you can't do it that way. 
We can't have something you can click online and do that. It only happens supernaturally. When I am regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, when I am united to Jesus Christ in faith, I become part of the universal church. And so, as I often do, I want to remind us, it is the gospel. This is why the gospel is always central. A church cannot exist apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Any local church, which we're going to look to in a minute, including us, if we lose our connection with the universal church, if we lose our connection with Jesus Christ ahead, we cease really to be a church. We're just a group of people who like to gather on Sunday morning and sit outside and hope it doesn't rain on us. That's all we would be. What makes us a church is that we are united together by the Holy Spirit as those who have responded to Jesus Christ in faith. And this is essential for you and me. It's not just important because, oh, I want to be part of the universal church. It's what you were made for. It's what I was made for. The deepest purpose of every human being is to know God, to glorify God, and to enjoy Him forever. We've all heard that, right? That's the first uh, question in the most famous catechism in the English language. It also happens to be the first question in our church catechism, that what, why did God create humans? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Your deepest joy is found in relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's not found any other place. St. Augustine, 1,600 years ago in his confessions, put it this way. He said, he was praying to God. The entire confessions are a prayer. And he says, oh God, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. This entire culture is restless. There are people running hither and yon. They are doing anything and everything. They are trying to find who they are. And many of them keep going further and further and further down a path. And it's a path that never leads to peace, joy, rest, because it's not part of Jesus Christ. And so I urge you with every fiber of my being today, if you have never responded to Jesus Christ through the gospel, look to him in faith. That is how one becomes a member of the universal church, and it is part of why the universal church is so critical. You can have your name on the rolls of any church in the world. You can rise to whatever position within that church. That is not a guarantee that you know God. God is only known through Jesus Christ by the gospel. Amen? Amen. That is central. That is who we are and why we exist. So that is universal phenomenal cosmic power. Now let me turn to the local church, which is itty bitty living space. Okay. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 1 and 2, Paul also has the local church. He says, I'm writing to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. This is not just the whole universal church. It's the local church in a very specific place. If you read your New Testament, of course, you'll notice almost every one of Paul's letters is addressed to the local church in a specific place. They are actually letters to local churches. So there's not only a universal church, but there is a church of God in each particular location. Paul could say, I'm speaking to the church of God in Corinth or in Philippi or in uh, Thessalonica. 
Now, this means that the universal invisible church, because that, that place of phenomenal cosmic power, it's invisible. You, you can't see it. You can't visit it at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning or any other time in the week. It is universal. It is everywhere. That universal invisible church finds expression in local visible churches. These are groups of believers that exist at a particular time and place. They're not spread out geographically, but can be identified in a, as a church in a particular location. That's what Paul says. I'm writing to the church in Corinth. And later on in the letter, in 1 Corinthians 16, 19, Paul writes a very interesting verse. It's kind of those verses at the end we kind of read through as we're getting ready for the next letter. But Paul says this, the churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. So notice, first off, Paul says the churches, that is plural. There is one universal church, but there are many local churches. And so Paul says, hey, I've been in touch with a whole bunch of churches in Asia. It's too many to mention, but I just want you to know those churches that are in Asia, they greet you guys over there in Europe, basically, in, in Greece. And he says, and not only that, Aquila and Priscilla, they send you their greetings, and there is a local church that meets in the home of Aquila and Priscilla. This isn't all those everywhere who call in the name of their Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. No, this is a group of believers who meet every Sunday. You can find them gathered at Priscilla and Aquila's house. This is a picture of a local church. Now, I've used this example before, but I want you to think for a moment. We, we see this in other aspects of life. For example, if you are a member of the military or if you're an employee of a large multinational corporation, you aren't just an employee or a military member at large. You are assigned to a specific place. We have some folks here today that are in the military. I used to be in the military. Uh, I, I'll pick on my son, Tim, who works at Northrop Grumman, large corporation, okay? They got 30,000 or more employees just in Maryland. Tim, tomorrow morning, can't just randomly say, I think I'm just going to go visit the place out in Western Maryland somewhere. N no, he has an assignment at a very specific place. And friend, so do you. When you were called into the universal church, it was like becoming a member of the military. It was like becoming a, an employee of a large corporation. But at the same time, you were called to a specific local church. And there is no sense of, well, I just want the universal church. I like the phenomenal cosmic power. Well, we do. But if you want that, it comes with itty-bitty living space, which is what you see right around you right now. That's the call to every one of us. So the scripture recognizes both universal and local, and it's essential that we do as well. Now, I've got in the booklet there, we've got our question from our catechism, question 71. And if you're new here and you're not, not familiar with the catechism, it's just an ancient way of teaching about the faith where you ask questions and then you have an answer back. And ours, the specific question is, are Christians only called to be part of the universal church? Given that the moment I was born again, I became a member of the universal church, isn't that enough? And the answer is no. All, underline that, all 
Christians are called to be part of local churches where they are led and cared for by elders, worship God, learn the scripture, receive the sacraments, pray together, serve one another, and carry out the Great Commission together. We're going to actually be unpacking this over many weeks coming into the future. But notice that, that specific description is there for a reason. That's what a local church is. It's not just, well, you know, I'm in the universal church, and then I got a group of friends, and every once in a while we hang out at Starbucks. That's not a local church. That's just a random gathering of believers, and that's great, but that's not a local church. A local church is described as that. There, there are, there's leadership. They are teaching us the scripture. We worship God together. We receive the sacraments together. We are serving one another. We're praying together. We're, we're laboring together and figuring out how to reach our community for Jesus Christ. It is all of that context together. See, that's the itty-bitty living space. Me just randomly meeting with some people at a coffee shop, I like that because there's no itty-bitty living space. I just still do what I want. And, and here's a clue. You and I both like doing what we want. I don't like things that are inconvenient. But see, Jesus happens to like giving me things that are inconvenient because the inconvenience is the very means that he's using to shape my character. And I don't like that. True confessions. Nor do you. True statement. <laughs> okay? So that's what he's calling us to do. Now, I want to go through for just a couple of moments and distinguish a few things between the universal and local church, kind of pointing out why the local church is so important for us. Number one, local churches are specific communities of believers that are organized under the leadership of elders. So notice the very first statement there. They're called to be part of local churches where they are led and cared for by elders. Now, that's fine if I make a statement like that, but why do we say that from the scripture? Well, if you notice in the second text we have this morning in Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas have gone and preached the gospel. A bunch of people throughout Asia have become believers. And then after a period of time has gone on, Paul and Barnabas go back and they visit those churches and they're paying attention to the people and notice what they do. In verse 23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in how many churches? Each church. There's, there's not, well, some churches have elders and some churches don't. No, every church they founded, they said, we need elders here among them. They, they waited so that they could find out because obviously if everybody just got saved yesterday, we don't know who's going to be an elder and who's not. But Paul and Barnabas come back and they say, you know what? The kind of character and traits that we're looking for, these men here are exhibiting, they're going to become elders. And that's what goes on. Notice it's not just in Acts chapter 14. In uh, Titus, the entire book of Titus is given to us because Paul had left Titus behind for this exact reason. He tells us in Titus 1.5, Titus, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Look, we were in Crete for a short period of time. The gospel got preached. People came to faith. Titus, I had to leave you behind because I had to keep moving on. But you were there and here's what you're doing. You're fixing what was left unfinished. And first and foremost among that is you got to figure out who the leaders are in the local church. If you don't want leaders, it's not a local church. Now, that's not popular in our culture today, okay? I realize I'm, 
I'm running against the grain. We don't like institution. We don't like structure. In short, we don't like what Jesus does like. That's what it amounts to. Jesus says local church needs that structure. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, Paul puts it the same way. He's writing to Timothy, another one of his young guys that work with him. And he says, Timothy, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Some elders' main task is preaching and teaching. That happens to be one of my main tasks. Others are just leading and guiding the congregation. But notice that's what Paul says they are doing. Elders are there to direct the affairs of the local church. Now, what this means, again, let me be clear. It is good for us. I have fellowship with all kinds of believers that are not part of Bay Ridge Christian Church. I encourage that. I, I am a man that is committed to the unity of the church. The, the leadership here has blessed and given me time to be able to devote myself to working with a lot of local pastors. I spend a lot of time trying to build unity with other leaders in the church. That's all great, but that is not local church. This is a local church. People who regularly say we are committed together, we gather together, we uh, serve with one another together. So all the other activities... I can gather for Bible study. I can gather for fellowship. I can gather for praise or prayer. Um, I can do it. But it's not a local church unless they can say, these are the elders. These are the deacons. This is when we meet, how we meet. This is what we're doing. This is how we determine who's a member and who's not. If you can't do that, you're not a local church. And every believer is called to be a local church. So again, encourage those kind of gatherings. They are awesome. I encourage you, find, there's, we live in a time you can find more solid teaching. You can also find more lousy teaching, but you can find more solid teaching on the internet than has ever been available before. I am glad I can hear what Tim Keller or John Piper are thinking about what's going on today. I am glad to be able to, to listen to those guys as well as having all the guys from church history to try and think through how would Calvin or Luther or Augustine have responded to this. That's awesome, but that's not local church, okay? Local church is the gathering that happens regularly, weekly, with all those other signs. Second difference, the universal church is all true believers alive today while the local church is a gathering of local people who profess faith in Christ and they live out their Christian calling in community together. See, the universal church includes brothers and sisters who live in Nigeria, who live in Pakistan, who are underground in Iran. But see, here's the thing. I cannot live out my Christian calling with any of those folks. It's not possible. They're there. I'm here. One of the challenges we're facing today is because of technology, we, we forget what it means to be human. Okay? Touch your skin. This is what it means to be human. This isn't temporary. It's not a result of the fall. It's part of who you are. So let me say it clearly, virtual reality is unreality. It's not real. Virtual church is not local church. 
It's like gathering at Starbucks. That's what it is. It is not the same thing. So local churches participate with other local churches. We even partner together sometimes with ministries. Like, you know, our church partners with Wycliffe because most of us cannot go to an area and learn a language and then translate the scripture into that language. So we partner with a group like Wycliffe, which we've been doing for over a quarter century now, to try and be together and do that. But again, that's not the local church. The local church is the people who are gathered together, and everything that we're doing needs to be rooted out of the life of a local church. This leads to the third point, and I'm going to show a number of scriptures here with this one. So get the major point, and then we'll look at some verses. The local church is God's primary means of shaping our soul so that we grow in Christ-likeness as we live out our Christian calling and community together. I'll say that one more time. The local church is God's primary means of shaping our soul so that we grow in Christ-likeness as we live out our Christian calling and community together. Okay? You get shaped when you go down into itty-bitty living space. And... And notice what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the primary means. You might say, well, what about the Bible? Obviously, if you know me and have been around me for more than like five minutes, you know how important the Word of God is to me. But see, I can get all kinds of highfalutin ideas about the Bible. The trouble comes when I have to apply them. That's where the difficulty comes. And the application is difficult because of you all. That's where it is. And trust me, it's much more coming back this way. My poor wife has to apply the scripture every day by living with me. And it's been that way for all of these years. And the local church is where God says, this is training camp. This is where the rubber's meeting the road. This is where it's going to be worked out. And you're going to find out this phenomenal cosmic power that I've talked about. Is that, is that shaping your soul? Is that being worked out in reality? Or is it something you like to talk? I love to talk about serving. I love to talk about how Jesus came and served. But when it comes time to actually serve someone and to honor, prefer them over my own desires, I'm not so much on that. See, then that means I haven't really learned the word of God. So consider some of these verses. Romans chapter 12, verse 15 and 16. The apostle Paul writes this. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. I can do all of those very well with my brothers and sisters in Pakistan. They're no problem at all, because I'm never required to do any of it. It's only with people that I'm actually living out my calling that I have to say, wait, you want to go left and I want to go right? Well, how are we going to work this out? And, and I can't just say, well, obviously everybody agrees with me or you're dumb. You don't really know Jesus. See, you're not going to be able to stay in a local church if you start thinking and talking. About I can write a blog on the Internet and be all kinds of bold. It's much harder when we're actually having to live it out. And Paul says you can't be conceited or else the church can't stay together. You can't walk in harmony with one another. That verse requires local church. 
And see, and it requires local church where we're really going to work it out because, see, if it's just a random gathering of people, I just don't gather anymore. I just won't show up there. It's easy enough to not do that. But if I'm committed in relationships and we're holding each other accountable, now I can't just run away because we weren't experiencing harmony. We're going to have to work this out. Another passage, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual song with gratitude in your hearts to God. So first off, notice, everybody here this morning, we are all actually teaching one another. When we were singing, we are instructing one another with the truth of God's word. It's why it's important that what we sing be biblically rooted and grounded. But notice what Paul says is, you're not only to teach and admonish one another, how are you to do it? With all wisdom. See, there's a difference between just knowing the truth and knowing how I can speak the truth and help you figure out how to apply the truth in your life. And that's called wisdom. But to do that, we need to know each other. It's easy for me just to spout principles or truth. It's a whole different thing to say, how does this actually apply in this person's life where they are at? I'm aware each week as I'm getting ready to preach and as I am sitting here looking, knowing the various situations that are going on in your life and thinking through what does this truth mean to that person? How does this apply to them? And the way we have been created by God, you can't do that with 10,000 people. No human being can. It's a relatively small number of people we can do that with. And that's a command. It's not that this is an option. Paul says you got to do this. The word of Christ has got to dwell richly. How does it do that? You know each other well enough to say, how can we help each other think through how to apply God's word in our own life? Whole another layer. Another passage, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. We've all heard this one before. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So notice there, you know, the, the verse talks about encouraging one another, about the purpose of fellowship being that. But notice a couple of things. Number one, it assumes that we can meet together. It says don't, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. This was part of when we talked early on. The church through all these years, our brothers and sisters in Iran, that this church is supporting those churches through the underground planting ministry that we work with there in Iran. They are meeting at danger of their lives because there's something about the church that gathers. It meets. It's not just a random group of Christians. It wants to get together for worship and encouragement. But notice that word again at the beginning. Consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. See, the way that I might spur Marty on to love and good deeds and he might spur me on to love and good deeds might be different than the way I would with Larry Kraft and the way Larry would with me. But the only way we can do that is if we actually spend enough time together that we actually know each other, that we have some idea of who we are so that we can do that. And you can't do it. You can't even do that with the entire local church here. That's only got to be even as we break down, which is one of the reasons connect groups is ringing in my mind. We have to break down. We have to have relationship. But notice, you can't even fulfill this verse apart from the context of a local church. You're, you've tapped out before you even started. 
because you're not gathering together. You're not knowing other people. You're not considering how you may spur them up. I may be filling up my head with knowledge, but Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, knowledge puffs up, but love actually edifies and works. See, that's the difference between the things. So one last verse, and then we'll move on. James chapter 5, verses 14 and 16. We've heard these before. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And then in verse 16, he comes back and says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now James there in verse 16 is encouraging us specifically that we, we all pray for each other. But in verse 14, he said, Look, if you're sick, this is one of the reasons the elders are there. Call them. Let them anoint you with oil. Let them pray over you. Let them cry out to God for you. And then it needs to spread out from there to everyone. Again, this verse is not talking about me randomly with some person in Nevada that I met in an internet chat room. It's assuming there's a community of people and we know each other and we love each other and we care for each other and we're willing to come out, pray for one another. To We, we know each other enough to even confess our sins to one another. This is the call for the local church. So the local church is where the doctrine of the church touches ground. It's what provides the context for experiencing and living the Christian life. So I've dwelled upon this for a bit because please understand me, this is true of me. I've been a pastor now for, in December, I guess it'll be 27 years, okay? And been involved in a local church for over 40 years. But please understand this. It is easy to prefer the universal church. We all like genie. We like phenomenal cosmic power. But God's call is local church. God says what you need is itty-bitty living space. And the two go together. See, we all want to be genie and say, I want to be genie, but I don't want the lamp. But it doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. The two are called together. So we're going to turn to applying the word and then come to the Lord's table. Just one simple question uh, for today, and that is, am I committed to the local church? Okay. Now, I've been speaking in this whole series a lot about unity with the universal church, and I, I want to reiterate that is essential. I am a man committed to that. I am laboring right now, building relationships with pastors across all kinds of denominational lines, across racial lines, trying to work together to serve the community. I will always, always, always encourage us to be committed to the universal church. Bay Ridge is not the beginning nor the end of God's work. It was going on before us, It'll be going on at the Lord should tarry long enough when we're not here. I hope we make it to the end. But uh, God's work goes on outside of us. That is critical that we are part of that. It is great for every one of us to have relationships with believers from local churches. Give thanks to God for that. If you've got friendships that are very close and they have transcended across the years, hang on to those. Thank God for those. Encourage one another in that. But don't confuse that with local church. 
It's not. We are called to walk out our Christian life in the context of a specific local church. Again, where we're gathering together. Where I can say, these are elders, and the elders say, we know who this person is. See, it's always a thing when I ask folks, are you involved in a church? And they say, yes. And I say, who are some of the elders or who's the pastor there? Ah, uh, uh, I can't remember the name. That, that's not a big confidence booster right at the beginning of the conversation, let me say. Okay? If you ask me, are you married? Yes. What's her name? Ah, uh, uh, kind of a problem. Okay? Do you know who the people are? Do they know who you are? It's critical. We had somebody leave this church one time, and for a variety of reasons, none of which were good, they kept wanting to come back to me for advice, and they kept saying I was their pastor, and I kept saying, you live in Texas. I am not your pastor. Maryland, Texas, the Mississippi River is between us. <laughs> it's a long distance. There are churches in Texas, I assure you, okay? That, that is the call. Am I part of a group of people that I am walking it out with? Now, let me be clear. Our culture is anti-institutional. We don't like institutions, all of which is silly because an institution is just something that's got a life, shelf life of like more than 25 minutes. Human beings get together and we build culture. We build institutions. It's what we do. There is no way around it given who we are. It's how things are passed on from one generation to the next. So because we're anti-institutional, many Christians have picked this up and say, I don't need a specific local church. I love Jesus. I love kind of the theory of the church. I love the phenomenal cosmic power. I don't need that itty-bitty living space. Huge mistake. Yes, you do. Every one of us do. And please hear me. We should make a bumper sticker. Random acts of fellowship do not constitute a local church. They're just random acts of fellowship. You know, you, like, you see that bumper sticker? You know, practice random acts of kindness. How about building a lifestyle that purposely schedules in regular things you're doing? Because if it's up to, you know, if we said we will randomly hand out food, nobody would know when to come, where to come, what to do at the pop-up pantry. But they know where to come on Saturdays because we're there. It's not random. It's there. We also don't need just random acts of fellowship. We need it to be planned into our lives. And let me be clear. The difficulties that arise, because if you're here and you're honest, Linda and I were listening yesterday to uh, a country music singer named Miranda Lambert, who's got a voice that's just heavenly. And Miranda, I love some Miranda. And she had a song a few years ago called Tin Man, where she was singing to the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz, and I thought I ought to do a whole teaching series on this. But she was telling the Tin Man, you're wanting a heart, basically be careful what you wish for, because when you get a heart, it gets broken. And if you were smart, you wouldn't want a heart. And at the end, she's saying, my heart's all scarred. I'll, I'll just go ahead and I'll give you mine. You can have it. And I said, that's somebody who's been through relationship. And if you're here and you've been involved in local church, you, you know what I'm talking about right now. Relationships cost. Let's be honest. They do. Itty-bitty living space means we rub shoulders. We irritate one another. We, we disagree on things. But the difficulties that arise 
from long-term commitment to a local church are one of the main things God wants to use to form and fashion my soul to be like Jesus. It's simple. I've be, God is working more in the times I don't like than he usually is in the times I do. Now, I hope before we, we're going to edit that out before it gets to Jesus' ears because I'm not inviting tough times. Okay? But that's the reality, folks. Look back at your life. My character grows more through the difficulties than it does when everything's easy. And so Jesus calls us to long-term commitment because he says, I know that's what's going to form and fashion your character. If every time there's difficulty, I'm out, I never grow. That's what happens. So let me spin the question out. Am I committed to the local church where I know the leaders by name and they know me? Am I? Is that true? Because if it's not, and this is true whether you're here or listening online, then you're not in a local church. And this is imperative for us, especially in 2020. This is one of the concerns. A lot of pastors are asking, what's going to happen after the pandemic is over? Is anybody coming back? So let me go ahead and answer the question for us. Do I see, by, by throwing out another question, do I see that except for unusual circumstances, a pandemic, I am personally sick. I live in some remote, I've been stationed in Antarctica, and I look, there's not a local church in Antarctica, okay? Except for that, virtual church cannot take the place of gathering with believers. Do I understand that? Because if you don't, we need to dig back into the Word of God. I am grateful. You know, I, I was a computer programmer before I became a pastor. I'm glad for technology. I'm not an anti-tech guy. But having experienced it for a few months and sitting in my house with Linda and I singing together, trying to clap together, the weirdness of watching myself preach on TV and her telling me it's kind of weird, I'm sitting next to you, but yet you're talking and me saying, I don't even remember giving this teaching. I recorded this a couple of weeks ago. It is not the same thing. The first time I gathered for a little communion service over here with 20 people, I was in tears. The first time we were able to gather together out here, this is not the same thing. And I say that with full recognition that for many of us, it may be when we have to go back inside when it gets cold, they're not going to be able to come inside. And I understand that. But, but that means the second it's over, am I back? Because I know it's more convenient to sit in my chair in my jammies. I know it's more convenient. We have comfy chairs. Please don't wear your jammies. That even includes you, Karen Younger. No jammies down here. <laughs> so I know it's more convenient. We'll edit that out, Karen. So, <laughs> so I know it's more convenient to be at home, but it's not the same thing. And the difference is what brings all the value. Do I understand and see that? And the, the last question in this, and then we'll go to the Lord's table. Do my kids, and if you're of such age as I am, my grandkids, see the importance of commitment to gathering with a local church for worship by my actions? Not that I say it's important. Not that I have a nice thing hung up on the refrigerator that says it's important. 
but by the fact that when things conflict and push comes to shove, local church gathering wins out. Or is what they see local church is important as long as nothing else conflicts. Let me be, I, I know I'm stepping on toes, but let me be clear. When our kids were young, there was a simple answer. We don't do things on Sunday. We don't. Well, we do do something on Sunday. We gather with the church. And this didn't start when I became a preacher guy. It was this way from before. In fact, in our vows, that Linda and I wrote our own vows. It's actually a practice that I've come to not really appreciate that much, but we did it. And in our vows... And the reason I don't is because we, again, want to, we want to get it. We want our vows to not reflect itty-bitty living space either. See, itty-bitty living space is in sickness and in health, richer or poorer, better or worse. We don't like that. Well, you need to like it. And you need to understand marriage didn't start with us. So I just went off on a little sideline there, but that's why I don't like them. But in my wedding vows, I did vow to Jesus Christ, not only that I would love my wife, that I would serve my wife, that I would wash her with the water of the word. I vowed to Jesus Christ, I would keep her involved in a local church every day of my life. And what I was facing was two months later, we were going to be living in Okinawa, Japan. Conversion rate of less than 1%. I didn't even know if there was a local church. But I vowed to Jesus, first thing happens, boots on the ground, everywhere I go, radar is locked on, where's a local church? And I did that every place I went in the military, and I have kept that vow faithfully through 36 years. Do we do that? Do we understand that? Because please hear me in this. In my experience, and it's 42 years worth now, in my experience, the faith is rarely caught by the next generation apart from radical commitment to a local church. I know people love Jesus. They didn't get involved in the local church, and then they can't figure out why the next generation doesn't follow. There's a reason. They didn't see it actually working out on the ground. It looks like a club. Mom and dad belong to the Elks Club, and they do this weird thing on Sunday. I just don't do that. But see, that's not what we're talking about. Nothing else can make up for that lack of commitment and often the next generation wanders from the faith if we don't do that. It's not, see, this is why we need both aspects. Because commitment to the universal church doesn't do that. It doesn't accomplish that. It's actually in the local church. So I am pleading with you two things this morning. Number one, if you don't know Jesus, look to him. Turn to him. Every fiber of my being, I cry out to you. He is your only hope of salvation. He is your only hope of finding why you were made. And number two, be committed to the local church. When you come into the church, it's phenomenal cosmic power. It is. All the things that are true. You are the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, now and for all eternity. Out of everything in the entire universe, he looked out and he desired the church, not just Bay Ridge, the universal church, more than anything else. He came, he sought her, he bought her with his own blood. To be part of that is a privilege beyond description. But that phenomenal cosmic power needs itty-bitty living space.
And I challenge you, make sure you always do that. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to come to the Lord's table this morning. And I'm going to be brief so we can make sure we finish before the rain comes in. But this, uh, this sacrament is given to us by the Lord. And I want you to know, you know, one of the titles that's given for it is communion. And communion refers to the fact that we commune both with our Lord Jesus vertically, but we also do it horizontally. It is part of being part of Jesus's uh, people. At this table, we're going to experience communion with the Lord, but at this table, we experience communion with one another. And so in a moment, I'm going to be quoting from 1 Corinthians 11, but if you go and read the whole chapter, Paul's concerned there. He said, some of y'all are sick and dying because of sin, but the sin wasn't sins against Jesus directly. It was sins against their brothers and sisters. And Paul said, you're sinning against the body, meaning the local church. And so he warns them, you, you all have got to change. You, you're reducing it. It's not even the Lord's Supper because of the way you're treating one another. There is a horizontal aspect. So communion, every time you hear that word, it needs to draw to your mind that I'm communing with Jesus Christ, but it's also a reminder that I commune with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and in particular, in a local church where we regularly do this together. So I want to urge you this morning as we're coming, focus on who Jesus Christ is, all that he has done for you. But I also want to urge you, remember, when we do that, we are knit together. We're not just stones out in the field. We are being built together into one local church. So again, if you haven't been here and used them before, the little communion packet you've got, there's two layers. You're going to peel off the top layer in just a second to get the little wafer. And then you'll peel off the other one to uh, get the drink. And we invite everyone who is a member of the Universal Church. You do not have to be a member of Bay Ridge to do this. You do need to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a meal for believers. Uh, if you're not, we encourage you not to participate and see me afterwards. I'd love to talk with you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and uh, how that will be the greatest thing that will ever happen in your life. So with that, friends, what I receive from the Lord Jesus, I pass on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Holy Spirit of God, we pray that you would meet with us now at this table. Spirit, we recognize that apart from you, this would simply be bread and juice. But by your mighty work, we are united with our Lord Jesus Christ, with his body and blood and all of his saving benefits. Come, Holy Spirit.
meet us in this communion meal. In Jesus' name. Friends, let's prepare to take the bread. Lord Jesus Christ, if there is ever anyone of whom the phrase phenomenal cosmic power itty-bitty living space was appropriate, it was you. For you are the eternal Son of God. Through you, everything that is came to exist. Through you, everything is upheld by the word of your power. You are eternal God. And yet in taking this bread, we recognize that you didn't appear to be human. You became truly, fully human, taking a body like ours, emptying yourself of your divine prerogative so that at every moment, being fully God, sustaining all things, you could have cried out, you could have been delivered, but you gave yourself over to death, even death on a cross. And you did this for us and for our salvation. We take this bread, the symbol of your body this morning in faith, confessing that we have sinned and our only hope of salvation is the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, take and eat. Lord Jesus, we hold up this cup, the cup that represents the blood of the new covenant. And we freely proclaim this morning that because of our sins, we forfeited any right we had to blessings from God. Because of our sins, we deserved nothing but wrath. But you, O oh Jesus, spotless and sinless, were sacrificed, pouring out your blood so that we might be forgiven, securing every covenant promise and blessing of our God. Lord, this truly is the cup of thanksgiving. We give you thanks, Jesus Christ, for all your blood has done for us. By it, we have been cleansed. By it, we are sealed and united with you now and forevermore. Friends, take and drink. If you would, stand with me for our closing prayer and benediction. And I'm assuming I'm under a shelter. Is it raining out there yet? Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit of the living God, we are so grateful for your work. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you raised us up. You united us with Jesus Christ, giving us all of his righteousness. You seated us with him in the heavenly places. And you united us with every other believer across all geography, all time and space. What an awesome God you are, Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Spirit of the living God, that week after week you come, you draw us together, 
You present our worship and our prayers to the Father. You intercede in our behalf. You anoint and open our mouths and our ears so that we can hear and receive the very word of God. We thank you, Spirit of the living God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would unite and link each and every one of us that are hearing, whether we are here or whether we couldn't even join in person this morning. Lord, that you would link us together with our brothers and sisters. We confess, even as regenerate believers, our own temptations. We confess our own tendencies to turn away and go our own path. Would you, Holy Spirit, powerfully work in us this week? Would you raise us up? Would you empower us to turn from sin and turn to Jesus Christ? Would you empower us to not walk in radical individualism, but rather walk together as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, praising and worshiping you, loving and serving one another, linking arms together to reach this lost and dying world. I pray, Holy Spirit, fall upon us as a gathered local church. Fill us to overflowing. Empower us. Open our mouths that we might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Open our mouths that we may share with those who don't know you as we go through this week. Let us tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. I ask that you would do all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Friends, reach out now and receive the blessing of God that comes to you by the Holy Spirit. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and one mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God of peace be with you all. And God's people say, amen. Go forth blessed and be a blessing. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.